how are you? How are you? How are you? <laughs> I'm like fiddling with things. How are you? Hello. Uh, so welcome to Brave Space Live. I'm Tyshell. I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner and learning consultant. And this is my host. I did it right. I'm Mel. I am a social ethicist and an author. Awesome. So today we're going to be having a conversation about white women's tears and the cultural appropriation of Karen. And we have a fantastic guest. And we're also streaming mm-hmm. on TikTok. So she's with Hello, us there TikTok as audience. well. You yeah. can already see her there. <laughs> Uh, so we want to welcome our special guest, uh, Rebecca Larson. Rebecca is a, a woman who says she is a student of anti-racism, and she's learning constantly. She's one of my favorite TikTokers. You'll know her as the person with the blue wall, although she just told us she might paint it. And I'm, I don't, I'm having an emotional <laughs> attachment to her painting this wall I because love I feel like wall. it's my learning wall. So let's <laughs> let's uh, let's welcome Rebecca. She's also an actress, so. Yeah, you can catch her. Maybe not on the blue wall. Maybe in something you like. So let's welcome Rebecca. Uh, hey, Rebecca. Hey. Thanks for joining us. What a kind introduction. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Absolutely. We love having you. So we wanted to get into this uh, conversation. Ooh, there's a somebody said that there. Someone a said this, a there's issue. an echo on the TikTok side. Rebecca. Rebecca came on and the echo started. Oh no. Yeah. Okay, we will work on that, friends. Thanks so much for letting us know. I wanted to start with kind of the story and framing what a Karen is. Although at this point, if you're on TikTok, if you're on social media, I think you should know. But I'll tell a little story that someone just told me recently. So one of my dear, dear friends is a Haitian immigrant. And she was at work having a conversation, you know, the famous like, let's have a conversation about D, E, and I. And she started talking about her experience of being an, an immigrant. And she was like, you know, I, I, I came to this country when I was 12 years old and English wasn't my first language and it was really hard for me. And that's where I realized that I wasn't just Haitian, I was black and that meant something different in America. And a white woman in the audience started, or in the, her, a colleague of her started crying and was like, that makes me really sad. And the conversation switched from, Joe's immigrant, or my friend, Joe, <laughs> immigrant story, I'll, I'll just call her Joe, uh, her immigrant story to this white woman's tears and people being like, me too, and are you okay? Wait, and now we need to really- her. Yeah, so now we, yes, and so now they had to go and take care of her. And I think that's an interesting one because someone was telling their own story and it was really impacting someone else, which, I mean, it, it touches me too that that person didn't know, but that woman started crying and now the focus has now shifted to this woman. And that's a very innocent way of white women's tears, but we probably get into a little bit of conversation about how um, different that can be, how weaponized it can be and what it actually does. So I just wanted to share that story to kind of ground what a Karen is. And we'll talk a little bit more about what a Karen is, but Rebecca, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your story. Like we know you as the famous blue TikTok wall, which you're painting. Speaking of Karens, you got Speaking of Karen, here's a back. Well, actually, I have a, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Rebecca's, but whatever. Um, but tell us about your story, like a little bit about your background and what kind of brought you in, what was your foray into anti-racism and oppression work and being a student and a teacher? Well, you know, Ooh, I, I, she's like, ooh, I'm not a teacher. 
I don't know. The more I learn, the more I feel like I'm just not the right person to be teaching. Mm -hmm. at, at first, so so I was one of many people who, um, it, when George Floyd, uh, the summer when all of the marches were happening because for uh, justice for George Floyd, like I realized I don't know anything. Like and I, it kind of, I, I, it was an eye-opening experience to show up at a, at a protest and not know where to go not know who to talk to, not know how anything works. And then to just kind of be like embarrassingly clueless. So I started doing like some reading and watching YouTube videos and podcasts. And I started feeling like, um, I started feeling like the social justice conversation that was being had in general was like a PhD level conversation and I wished that I had that PhD level of emotional intelligence and empathy and historical context because they don't teach us anything. They don't teach us anything. Nope. And you kind of like walk into, you know, like this really nuanced conversation with people who have been talking about this for a long time, very intelligently. And you kind of go like two plus two is four. And, you know, like you're not really qualified to be in that room. And the, the couth way to enter would be to kind of be like, okay, I'm a little late to the conversation, kind of enter politely, stand your back, see what's, you know, get your where. But what's so funny is so many of us come into the room and go, I'm here. Aren't <laughs> you lucky? I'm here and I'm here to you. you. <laughs> Don't you, know, you need me? I'm here for you. So where's the buffet? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so I do feel like a lot of us come to the conversation like that and then we, you know, unfortunate you know like think if i can just be super honest i think what so many people want from specifically white women what what i'm what i'm getting what i'm gathering is that what people really want from white women is emotional intelligence and the willingness to have an authentic conversation hmm. and the willingness to find out why the fact that when you share a story that makes me cry the fact that the second I start crying, everybody looks at me and is like, oh, Rebecca, aren't you like the nicest, most beautiful person? Meanwhile, like, there's like a person, like a personal story happening that just isn't about me, but like, isn't that, ah, like it is a, like you would cry and it is beautiful, but like, God, it's really just kind of not about you in that moment. Taishal, do you resonate with that, with that, that that's what, like pe people of color, I assume like you meant Rebecca is what need from white women is to have an authentic conversation. It, it's so funny. I mean, it, it is. And I think one of the things that, she, that Rebecca said that made me really think is that, you know, white women and white people often come to this work with a two plus two is four. And everybody's like, oh my God, Rebecca said two plus two is four. <laughs> Tashel's teaching me about, you know, 10 plus 10, but like two plus two is way more interesting. So I'm right. gonna go um, talk to her, and, and that that becomes a conversation. Wrong, <laughs> right? So it, it it does because I I mean you know Bell and I have done work together, and I've said to her like I need you to model this behavior for folks or something like that. And I think it is about this authentic conversation. But when it's kind of like that that conversation that's happening in the ethos of like, can you bring your full self to work? It's like most black women are like you. I'm not going to bring my full self to work because I'm going to get my whole ass fired. Right. Like you tell me you want me to bring my full self to work, but 
you don't really want my full self to show up but but whatever whatever white women are giving we want to take it and want to be like you 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 so i think that is the i mean i think I want that authentic conversation, but we have to, if you can't, if we can't acknowledge privilege and power, then we're not having an authentic conversation. Right. And isn't it tricky because I like the beginner who has no right being a beginner, like we're late. So, but we also do need guidance and, you know, like there's, there's so, there's so much like, there's so much identity upheaval when you encounter the, this is going to be so off the wall. Thank you for having me, by the way. <laughs> we'll see if you regret it. This is going to be so off the wall. But it's almost like, um, so I, I'm not sure if this is very, very relevant or super irrelevant, but I grew up in a very like tight religious group. I grew up Mormon in Utah. And there came a time when I was like, I just don't see it. It doesn't make any sense. Like this, this can't be true. It's just not true. And, you know, it would be more convenient for me if it were true, because the fact that I don't believe this means that I have to leave my community. Mm. It means I have to go against the grain. It means I have to, you know, proactively create a different community for myself. Um, and the weird thing is, it feels very similar to be kind of like doing the deep identity shifting away from believing the lies of white supremacy. But because the lies of white supremacy are so preposterous. And it's so shameful to admit that I was ever taken in by them. And then of course, like I have incredible compassion for the little kid who I was, who learned the, you know, who learned the lies of white supremacy as I learned English. Right? Like mm -hmm. we learn these we before we know that things can be a lie. So on one hand, you know, like there's the compassion part, but the other hand is like, man, like it's an embarrassing set of beliefs that was, I mean, you learn a little bit, you know, is just about, you know, the 1% wanting more, you know, like, I'm sorry, I know that's kind of a loaded term, but like very, very wealthy people wanting to exploit very desperate, unexploitable people, and there's white supremacy, and the fact that it exists is absurd. So on one hand, you want to laugh at it, but on the other hand, you can't laugh at it because it is so actively harmful today. Like, you know, and today actively harmful, which is why it's so frustrating when you hear people, you know, say things like, well, you know, you, you never experienced slavery. Yeah. And it's just like, such because that's what I'm worried about. Like, yeah, I, it's so interesting that you say that because it goes so deep, and we are all. And the thing that that is interesting is that we learn, we grew we grew up in the same system, school system, right, where it was uplifting you and pushing and oppressing me, but neither one of us knew that that was what was happening, right? And that's so interesting to me. In that we had, I get the same education. I'm still learning all of the things that are racist like i just you know and we are we're on TikTok too and just learning about how there are so many 
white families that have like souvenirs as people is what people were calling it which we, which really is like evidence yeah. that they were part of lynchings and all of these different things so it, it is just it, it goes so deep into so many different parts and people think that when i talk about how deep it runs that it's i'm trying to be a victim and i'm like no this is just this is just the truth so i want to uh mel you can jump in because i know you grew up with some of that background as well that may look different so i always wonder what that looks like and how you deconstruct all of those things and and, and more getting into how we deconstruct that for white women specifically which i think is really interesting mm-hmm. yeah, i think there's an implicit understanding in my upbringing that we're the nice white people and we don't need to talk about that because we're not part of the problem first of all. And second of all, I think there's also an implicit belief that talking about it makes the problem worse. But if you think about discussion, and this you see this a lot in anti-critical race theory conversations right now, you think about the logic of talking about something makes the thing worse. Like talking about car problems makes your car have problems. That's not how that works. Talking mm-hmm. about disease makes you sick. No, Otherwise, no one could go to med school. Mm-mm that's not how that works right so simply talking about a problem and trying to address it um you know demonizing that process and not even allowing those conversations to happen is a huge issue you know and like like you pointed to taishal that you get blamed for simply Mm -hmm. trying to talk about how you need to exist in the world and how you need to survive in the world um it's and what it comes down to so many times is white women's tears is white women uh, allowing society to protect us and to shelter our feelings and to treat us like special flowers while literally demonizing and scapegoating women of color in particular. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation tonight because that it that's got that's got to change and we all agree. But I think it's it's one thing to say it's got to change. It's another thing to start actually shifting culture toward that end. I think one of the things I think is interesting when, we, when it comes to like engaging with white women's tears, and I'm I'm trying to figure out what metaphor I want to use, but I was, I was going to use one, but I'll use a different one in that white women. So when we talk about the, we always have to talk about the structure, right? So one of the structures being misogyny, right? Patriarchy, the patriarchy and misogyny where women are a second class to white men, right? And then can also bolster, but above, so below white men, but above other people. So you have this, I am not, I am not in power, but what gives me more power? And then how we, so I I always think it's interesting and and maybe I'm off base. One of the things that I always think is interesting is how women need to be protected. And that's kind of where white women get this, uh, white women's tears from, and that we have to protect white women. We have to protect them. And I think that's always really interesting because who's doing the protecting and are they protecting or are they taking from white women as well? So when we, whenever we talk about white supremacy or white supremacy culture, one of the things that I think is always uh, necessary to talk about is how it affects white people as well. So I know we don't always want to center white people in the conversation, but it's interesting for, and I'm having this conversation with two white women, so we have to have some of that um, in that what what is white supremacy taking away from you all in that you are you have to play the damsel in distress and if you don't fit that mold then you are cast out of that system as well if you are not um subservient if you are not therefore what does that look like as well so i i just i always think about that and that how we all fund up fall under the structure and and what roles we play as as i would say charles mills talks about the racial contract and everybody has their place in that contract 
to me, it's uh, it's sort of a function of patriarchy. Not that this is all patriarchy's fault, but if white women have been conditioned to believe from an early age that power for us is scarce, then we're going to use mechanisms of emotional control to try to gain power, especially power over other people, other groups mm -hmm. of people. So I think that I think part of it is patriarchy and misogyny teaching women that we have to be emotionally manipulative in order to be powerful. I think that's part of it. Uh, do you have thoughts on that, Rebecca? Yeah, it does seem like it does seem like for white women specifically, the game kind of becomes that my privilege expands as I am more and more pleasing to those in positions of real power. So, you know, the most powerful person in the room thinks that I'm great. The benefits of that privilege will rain down upon me. And so we walk this very interesting line of you know, expressing, we become very much flying monkeys for the patriarchy. And it's to, it's to the extent to which you're bought into it, right? Like if I'm chasing beauty privilege and I'm chasing thin privilege and I'm chasing the trappings of like, you know, that really weird like sexual marketplace kind of stuff where white women will kind of like, you know, jockey for position as far as like he, uh, desirability and like the, the the top, you know, the bell of the ball and the top dog, we give away so much time and effort and power to that. Like I, I know, especially white women and I, and I don't, this again, I don't know if this is very relevant or not relevant at all, but I know white women who give 20 years of their best energy to being thin and pretty and stylish and making people like them and be impressed by them when we could be out there, you know, like really standing in our power and owning our behaviors and like, like really going on being agents of change. But we, all of that energy is like fitting into the, in fitting into last year's jeans or you know, yeah. how the stories are yeah. in a chest or, you know, like I know so many women who can catalog recipes for, you know, how to get a flat tummy, but we don't think about like, how do I improve material conditions for my neighbors? Like, there's what a so way to take away our power. What a way to give away our power. Yes, there's so much rat race. There's so much rat race that we are blinded to our power. And, and, mm -hmm. and I kind of I, I kind of think about like, when somebody is saying like, check your privilege, first of all, that's ne no one has ever gone like, oh, I've been told to check my privilege. I should really count my blessings and be grateful and check my privilege. It never, it's always like the calm down of social justice, you know, like calm down. No one's ever calmed down when told to calm down. But when I, when somebody's saying check your privilege, I would encourage people to reframe that as like step into your power in this moment. Cause almost all the time when somebody's like check your privilege is like you are occupying a place of power that you are fully ignoring in order to whine about the privileges and power that you don't right this moment have, but what a waste because you could be from your position and perspective and privilege making life better for somebody and, and wouldn't that be more compelling and interesting? We just so got word that Tyshell's phone died. So we're gonna have to end this Unfortunately, This is such a good conversation. For those on TikTok, we are streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Brave Space Live. Please go find us. We're going to end this live here on TikTok, but please go find us, follow the show, support the show. Thank you all for being with us. We'll I'll, see you I'll later. charge my phone next time. Oh, no. And it looks like... Oh, I'm just, you're having technical difficulties anyway. Um, like 
my audio <laughs> faster anyway. I'm so sorry I didn't fix that. Ooh. No, you're fine. You're fine. Okay, so technical difficulties aside, uh, yeah. So so it's it's really bittersweet for me to talk about you know white women's power and the thinking about that that power comes at a, an awful cost to people of color. So I'd love to get more into that conversation. Yeah, like girl power, yes, but but what is the cost often? to that, to white women standing in their power? Is it white women being white saviors? Is it white women being fragile? Is it white women crying and, you know, causing attention to come to us? Is it white women feeling unsafe and leveraging the police to call people, to, to call on people of color? Like, what is the cost? So it, it's, that's a hard, that's a hard question. So one of the things that pulls me in for that conversation is that, is how separating it can be for women, right? and how when we the, like women's suffrage got it, it broke apart so when we start talking about feminism we have to talk about white feminism or womanism and black feminist thought or black feminism right um because it was pulled so down like you know we want to move you forward but it's going to take too long for us to get rights because people always say women got the right to vote in 1922 see and I, don't, I don't i don't even keep up with it because it doesn't include me right women got the vote in i think 1922 1923 and then people and then we say wait a minute actually i'm a black woman and i didn't get the right until to vote until 1964. so how it broke apart when it wasn't serving white women and how we don't get to be girl power in a group and what that looks like. Even if you think about like, I'm thinking about when you say girl power it makes me think about the Spice Girls and how even the only the only black Spice Girl was scary. Right. I was like, oh my God, that's true. Well, it's girl <laughs> she couldn't power. be anything else but, but scary. It's girl power when it's my agenda. Yeah. It's my agenda, we're a team. Right? Yeah. I got other places to be. I have, you know, like I got a, I got a, I got a soccer kid to chop up oranges for when it's your agenda. When it's my agenda, where, where's the solidarity? Aren't we all women? You know? It's such an interesting (laughs) and and detrimental thing. I know. It's just, it's so detrimental because it makes me think about all the times where I was looking around to my side and was wondering who was with me. And then I had, but that's the thing. I had to wonder if we were talking about the same thing. So if we're talking about the patriarchy, I'm like, okay, but like I, I was just telling somebody, and I use I watch way too much TV. So I was recently watching the le- the latest episode of Married at First Sight, and there is a woman on there, and this is a little bit different than White Women's Tears, but it shows the alignment. So bear with me. There was a woman on there who professed to be like. Um, forward thinking and feminist and anti-racist and Black Lives Matter. And she met a man who they would not say his political affiliation, but what they did say was he was he was differently aligned than her. He was differently aligned. They had different political ideologies. So they never talked about what parties they were in, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think necessarily always matters. But so they were talking about that and she wanted to date him and be married at first sight. So she was willing to give all of that up to align with him. Like, and it was so baffling to me that she was like, oh, okay, like, I'm gonna go with you on this one because I wanna be in a relationship with you. And I was like, oh, it is that easy? Like, you can just give all of this up so you can be aligned with this man so you can have a husband? And I think about that for women, for white women, both as a like, damn, I'm sad that you have to give up all your ideals to be with somebody, but damn, you gonna give up all your ideals for somebody? Like, (laughs) both, and I'm just like, I'm sad and I'm disgusted. 
I don't know if that makes I don't know if that if that fits in specifically it's not necessarily the tears but it just shows that alignment is off when we talk about who we want to be with and how we get into relationships and who we align ourselves with it seems like a combination of subconscious being taught that we have to give up our our values our empathy in order to exist in white culture you know and placate placate white patriarchy uh but also i think being taught from a really early age to devalue women of color in particular i in very subtle ways you know that from everything from beauty standards to the way you know professional culture works to um you know just devaluing you know women of color's issues and and so i think we are conditioned not to be in solidarity in so many ways yeah yeah I mean, for some of us, especially for Christian, you know, and I and I know that um, a lot of Christians don't consider Mormons Christian, but for the sake of this argument, I think they're similar enough. We're kind of raised to be the helpmeet of our men. Like mm-hmm. we're raised to be, like I gotta be honest with you, like it wasn't until I started seeing Karen videos that I really had ever seen a woman act out in public that wasn't having like a very serious mental like health crisis. Like I didn't know women were even allowed to do that. I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could act out in public. So uh, it's very interesting. It's very interesting because they do. And that has to be the word for it. We're like, it's so interesting because it is, you're like, I don't even know what to call this. Like what's happening here? And it's like, I both hold that like, I want like I have to hold that I like I want to be in solidarity with white women, but I also have to make sure that those white women are aligned to the things that matter to me as well. And it doesn't, and that that's regardless of any of their other marginalized identities, because it's not as if they don't, they may not have any. So there may be LGBTQ women, there may be, you know, there may be, you know, so you know, disabled women. And how does that look if they because if they leave me behind, I'm left behind. And that's not to say that I as a as a black woman with my, you know, intersectional identity don't have privileges as well, but like you can leave me behind and I can't get anything, right? So I think that's a, a really, it, it's hard, it's just so hard to think about because I have to be able to say, if I can't talk to you and bring what is happening to you, then we can't have this conversation because I, I fear like so many things, even though we both live in at least one marginalized identity of, of under that of uh, patriarchy, which is woman, right? So I think it's so interesting, but I think it, 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 one of the things that bothers me is that people are going to listen to you. Like I get called aggressive if I say something because I don't, I was never taught. And, and people will tell you this, like for me, that I could be sweet and nice because I was always having to do, 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 to, to do better, to think better, to, to go to a better school. I'm not saying other people don't have that, but nobody, we're not out here describing droves of, of, of black women as sweet, nice, and delicate. It's just, it doesn't happen mm. in the media and it happens for white women largely where we say things like sheltered or um, innocent. quiet, innocent, right? Mm-hmm. And how we talk about that no matter. And, and I think one of these things is interesting. So they actually had to put in, during chattel slavery in the United States, they had to put in an act where you couldn't beat uh, mulatto children um, as a, as a form of property and things like that, because white women were beating black children that were their the offspring of their husbands to death. Right. 
to death. So they had to put in like they like it had to be so bad that they had to pass a law during slavery against white women, which. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. And isn't it funny that that white woman has so much anger about the infidelity, right? You, presumably, right? That's why that's why white women mm-hmm. were murdering children, you know, that their that their husbands had, you know, fathered, like you know, like that's categorically, true. you know, it's categorically the R word, right? Like I don't know, I don't know if we use that language on this podcast, but like, but instead of being angry with a husband, all of the because you can't because your privilege grows or shrinks to the degree that you are pleasing to the person in power so she can't she can't upset him so any any vitriol that comes out of her has to come go out yeah it has to go somewhere else and who is at the end of that vitriol and that anger right like who does it then affect like black children right. specifically who were just born. They didn't ask to be here, but were just born. And I just think that how insidious when we think about the legacy of that. And when I say that, when I think, when I talk about white supremacy culture, that's something that's a part of a legacy that we have to address okay. and what that means. Because if we're not addressing it, it's really like, you can't just bury all the bones in the attic and, and expect that they won't at some point smell or pile up or something. You have to be able to clean it out, address it. And th- it's not as if people are saying like, oh, well, because you did this, we need this to happen to you. No, we just have to have these conversations and we have to change the landscape of what the systemic oppression looks like, right? But these things are copied in media constantly. There was a cover of a Sports Illustrated that had, I think, Giselle Bunchen and LeBron James. And, it, and the exact replica, if you can find it, is um, she is lady, lady, she is wearing a, a ice blue dress and he's in like a, 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 like a monster looking like aggressive pose. And the exact image that it was copied from was um, uh, Godzilla oh, holding, la- holding Lady Liberty. Oh no. And it is crazy to think oh, no. that it's like she, this white woman is in distress and being overpowered by this black man. And it's just these images are everywhere. So right? they, have to think you know, they echo forward and forward. But if you never mm-hmm. learn any of the history, you don't you don't hear the rhyme. Like John Bewin, I'm so obsessed with John Bewin right, right now, and he says history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. I think he might have been quoting somebody else. He said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So unless mm. you know some of the context of that, you're not going to hear the similarity. But if you know a little bit of the context of that, the similarity, you can't unhear it. You know, you can't unring the bell of knowing like this is these are lies. It's it's absurd. Last week, we talked a bit about the origins of the term white being first used for white upper class women in England in the 15 and 1600s. So the term white was first applied to white women. And this is where I think we have a great comment from Casey. Carissa Casey on Facebook, we need to talk about intersectionality. We have to consider intersectionality. So this is really gets very interesting, the intersection between racism, patriarchy, and capitalism, because mm-hmm. in patriarchal capitalism, stru- capitalistic structures, uh, women of color in chattel slavery are property. White mm-hmm. women's sexuality is property. So preserving the, the virginity, the purity, the exclusive rights to sexual access for white men to white women meant that white women's sexuality had to be protected and preserved as a form of 
currency, as a yeah. form of currency. And this is how it's been for for centuries, right? So, so white women not having any sort of political recourse because if they betray their husbands, they lose their home, they lose their livelihood, they lose their ability, they, they can't make any income on their own until very recently in modern history. You couldn't even get a credit card without your husband's signature until the 1970s, which is wild. So, so this idea that, like you said, history doesn't repeat it rhymes this idea that white women are the delicate ones the pure ones that have their their their, their innocence has to be protected goes back to that capitalistic patriarchal seeing white women's sexuality as currency which is very different how capitalism saw women of color sexuality and women of color bodies so interesting too because if white women lean into their damsel in distress which it will get you things but it's yep. also simultaneously going to take things away from you and like i i'm never trying i don't want just white people to change white supremacy for me change it for you yeah. be invested mm. in for you your learning and what you're missing out because i think oftentimes people who do get into this social justice work are like well i care about my black friends my black neighbors my black pastor my black whomever and it's like no but but white supremacy is killing you Right. I, I was just talking to somebody about this, about how we can talk about how women's clothes are sized. Right. Or the fact that no, no woman's woman, women get pockets that are like this big is because <laughs> we're not supposed to have a lot of stuff, even though we and which is which is funny because most women now can carry like one thing on every finger when they're carrying something more than men could ever carry. But like it, it, it's it, and those are like very trivial things but when we're thinking about what that looks like it's also harming you because if you play into the role of being a damsel in distress and everybody it, it's hurt it's harming black women absolutely but it's also harming you because you're you're not going to be able to become president you're not going to be able because people will say like oh you can't run a company because you are a woman and you're going to have a period and you're you're going to hit the destruction button or you're going to tank our company when you when you're emotional and it's like what? So if, when we play into this damsel in distress, when you, when white women play into this damsel in distress, it's also cutting off how far you can go as well. So we have to think about what that looks like. And I, I, I want, I, I, I mean, I want to, it not be centered on me and us and me not to be able to advance at all too, but I think it be invested in this because it also harms you. Yeah, it really is trading in a dollar for two quarters. <laughs> it is. I'm thinking of, you know, what is a damsel in distress? It's a fairy tale character. Right. Well, it's so, also a recipe to, to be good. A yeah. good woman is quiet. A good woman is supportive. A good woman is innocent. You know, like, so it needs to be rescued. To be protected. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I, something you said a little earlier just reminded me of how, uh, how I think you were listing uh, capitalism, racism, and, um, Patriarchy together, and I really, I really do think we need to to always consider adding in the idea of this uh, manifest destiny attitude that comes from American Christianity in specific. Yeah. This idea that things are to be uh, resources are to be exploited. Um, that you know we have dominion over the earth as opposed to like you know you know, indigenous communities who considered stewardship of the earth, like very holy. We're just like, no, 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 that's not how we practice religion. Our God gave this to us to trash. That's our right. It's our, it's our mandates, you know, of manifest destiny. And we're going to, you know, pillage what we have to pillage because that's what our God says to do. But I do think like, man, white supremacy is, 
I was thinking about clever things to say on your podcast today, and I was like, ooh, I really want to get this one in. Like white supremacy and the lie of white supremacy is the broken leg that we set wrong and have been trying to walk on since the inception of this country. And it really yeah. is. Gonna take and I think I think we're we're using that. We could say that, like, for some people, that bone fuses back together c correctly, but it's a very very small few that it works for. Everybody else, it's grinding your bones together and mm. whittling it down. I'm just gonna take that and just like. <laughs> I like that metaphor. I love it. Yeah. I love an analogy. Like you know what, Rebecca? I hope you remember that. You include that when you're talking to your friends later. You include that little tidbit. So I wanted to shift gears, but so I wanted to ask if there was anything else that like you wanted, because I wanted to talk a little bit about Karen and the cultural appropriation, but I want to make sure that we, that if anybody has anything else, Mel, I see you. This, this is a segue, actually, this will help um, where, where you wanted to go. So I've actually heard black women say that the most dangerous creatures on the planet for black folks are white women. And I was kind of, at first when I heard that, I was really taken aback, but um but explain to me that when a white woman walks in a room of primarily people of color, every person of color in that room will instinctively bristle and put up defenses a lot of times just because that white woman has that power at any moment to flip a switch and call the police and, and get people in trouble. And that's really that image really stuck with me. Um, you know, for is I so I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Taishal, and if if you that's if that's your experience, if you know if you have any a message to white women. So when you when you when you said that one of two of the things that brought me that um, kind of in my background. So um, I have a degree in clinical social work for therapy. Most of my classes white women, right? They're doing the work, but I face so much discrimination in that program. Um, very often being one of the only people of color in my in my entire cohort and i was in between two cohorts so i got to see a lot and then i also worked in education and most teachers are white women so we're teaching the youth and but that but also in whether that in in, in majority teachers are, are white women even in predominantly black schools yeah right and then most social workers are white women even to low-income black and brown people so one of the things that it sets up is control. I'm here for you, but I also am the authority that you have to bow to. So I just think about what that dynamic is because um, often if your, your teacher can call the cop, for black students, your teacher can, will call the cops on you, discipline you, make your report cards, say how you go from K to 12. And then in social work, if I need something, Right. And say I need, you know, welfare from the state, which we have to be clear that the majority of people on welfare are white, are white people, mm -hmm. 60, about 60, 64 percent, something like that are, are white people. But as a pe person of color, you can say I'm lazy. I didn't do what I need to. You're going to discriminate me. So you're holding that over. So I think there is this it becomes an authoritative position that you have over people in very vulnerable states. So if white women are not careful and how they lord their power or how they engage with those communities, it can become a sense of domination because you get to take, 
you get to hold a position where you're over vulnerable populations. So there are great books that talk about what white teachers need to do about teaching black uh, boys, um, especially because that's also a, a, a strange dichotomy that happens, but also over other people and really thinking about this. And I, and I say this and I say it repeatedly in every group that I'm in, um, I had a, a great professor who said that when we were in school, either you're gonna become a social agent of change or a social agent of control. And, and it's a very thin line between the two. So you oh, have good. to really be engaged with who you are and how you, what authority you have over people. Um, so I always, I always think about that because although it's true for white women, it could be true for me in a position of privilege as well. So I always think about whether I'm a social agent of change. And that's sometimes where I say the things out of my mouth that I'm thinking and other people are thinking well. And then I'm at, I'm at work and in programs when I'm consulting, like I'm gonna get fired. They're never gonna ask me back. But for white women, you have to think about that control and how you lo could lord power over vulnerable groups of people. Because when we're thinking about white women's tears, often it's just a weapon. Mm -hmm. right like it's it's a weapon it's not useful so i think i think about that that's that's how i engage with it i don't i try not to and i've done a lot of work and not bristling up when i see a white person but like i still have to act a little differently at different times i do out of self-protection would you say absolutely yeah definitely out of self-protection because i i want to make sure that because one of the things that happens is is that if i say the wrong thing or i have said something to this white woman that she might have specifically done to me, they're going to take care of her because her response will be to cry. Yeah. But that's didn't, the thing. Didn't you have a story about this, that this woman called you the wrong name? So it was, yes, I'll, I'll, yes. it's a short story. So it wasn't necessarily me. So she called my coworker by my name. So I was working at a university um, and my co, I had been there for a few months and I had met this person multiple multiple times like numerous times and my coworker, who was new about a month in a couple weeks in go goes to meet this um student and the student calls her tyshell or she calls this she calls my co-worker tyshell and and my co and my friend is like my co-worker my friend is like my name's that's not me i'm not Tysh do you not know that we're different people because we're black or or does that not like you've you've met her for really uh, uh, numerous times and that's and that she that would be disrespectful like really think about that and this girl started crying like bawling crying and then she went to her supervisor who was a white man and was c persistently crying so then the, the supervisor who was a colleague of ours came to my friend who said this to her who got called the wrong name because you called me the wrong name and that's not the first time i've been called the wrong name um, came to her and said, you need to apologize because you hurt her feelings. <laughs> Just for telling her she called you the wrong name, called the person the wrong for name. For telling her you That's called me the wrong name and it could be disrespectful. It was, she didn't, but, but, and then it was like explained away. She didn't mean it. You should know she didn't mean it. She's a student. Okay. She's learning. Mind you, the student was also 20. It wasn't like she was 12. She's in college, right. a senior in college and she's 20. Yeah. So for somebody just to tell you what you did wrong was too much for her. And she wow. was right. crying, so then a white man stepped in and said, treat her better. And she probably needed you to know how she didn't mean it and that she didn't intend to do that and how innocent she is. I'm not a bad person. But here's the thing, here's yeah. the thing. Sometimes that happens in a conversation, but what shuts all of that down is if she starts crying. Right. 
Yeah, no, none, none, of, none of that even matters. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to explain herself. She doesn't mm-hmm. have to b- talk about her intent or her impact. She yep. doesn't have to say I'm okay, yeah. like yep. I'm also marginalized. So the conversation that we probably could have had and had debate on or what these things are shuts down because now she's crying. White women's tears are the end of conversation. That's yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. And it's and it's infantilizing. Can you imagine? Like yeah. when you cry, you're you're being now infantilized. Like this man is not saying, I'm going to stick up for you. What he's saying is you can't control yourself, so I'm gonna help you because you're a child. Yeah. Like that. I want white women to hear that when they start crying about something they've done wrong. Yeah. The conversation can only be as big as the container of the of the worst emotional maturity, <laughs> you know? So if the person involved in the conversation has no emotional maturity, no capacity to have an authentic re- relationship or conversation, it, it's weird that it's okay. Like it makes right. sense that the conversation is only as big as the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link, but it's very weird that we just let these weak links be weak we never go we never go to her and go like hey or have you ever considered not crying when somebody <laughs> corrects you you know what i mean like that's yeah. very, and it's that's so when, often when a child cries yeah. imagine when when a, when you see a person like a child walking and they stumble and they fall and they cry we all gasp <gasps> right collectively we stop but that's it because that's a child but, but that's the thing about patriarchy is that women have to be led Women right, have to be perpetual children. Right. right. And I think about this, and, yeah. and this is, I would frame it this way, because I know we're talking about um, white women's tears, is that this is what Ryben D'Angelo talks about when she's talking about white fragility. It, although in men, it manifests as anger and mm-hmm. like standoffishness. In white women, it manifests as tears and that like, right. what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think those are two sides of the same coin because they're all emotions. If for if, if men think that they're not emotional, anger's an emotion, guys. <laughs> you are emotional. So we're not harshing on emotions per se. We're we're saying it's how you deal with those emotions and, right. and if you're and resisting so. personal growth because you're so emotional, then you're missing out and you might be hurting people. So would you say, Taishal, that that woman that, that white student in that story, would she was she being a Karen, would you say? Um, yes. Because okay. the thing is, I think she, the thing that 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 uh, we can shift into about Karen is that Karen often knows she knows the landscape a little bit better. So okay. I want so so, and I, I don't know if that student knew, but I think she kind of got it because I, she did not get the apology she was looking for. My friend read her boss for filth. She was like, why would I apologize to her? Are you sick? No, you need to bring her and we all need to have a conversation. And I don't, I don't even think I've friend. heard from that student again. Have so. you lost your mind, sir? So, so I don't know if she got it, but I think generally she got the response to some degree. She knew what she was doing because she got the response she was looking for, which was somebody to feel bad for her. So thank you for that fantastic segue, Mel. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Karen's and what we know as the Karen, but I want to talk a little bit about the history of Karen. Yeah. Right. So, and then fast forward, the rhyming part is the cultural appropriation. And now that white women are just calling each other Karens. Oh boy. Which is different. So Karen started honestly in 
the the Jim Crow era of maybe a little bit even earlier and it started with a different term and I'm probably giving up secrets that uh, well it's well documented so I'm not giving up secrets so it started with this term and there's always been Karens throughout time the name has changed and this is where uh Rebecca said you're you don't uh, your name is in there as well so in the 90s it was Becky she was being <gasps> a Becky and it is if you listen if you know um Sir Mix-a-Lot's song um, baby got back. It's like, yeah, oh yeah. my God, Becky, look at her butt. So it, it was the, it was Becky. But before that, it was Miss Ann. So that was a term that people used, that Black people used because, and, and let me tell you, it was Miss Ann specifically because white pe- or because Black people weren't allowed to use the first name of a white person. So you had to say Mister and Miss. So you had to give it some kind of what they call an honorific. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Miss Ann and it was a way for black people, um, in Jim Crow South, or even I think farther than, uh, past slavery, but in Jim Crow South to talk about white people in the things that they were doing purposefully and negatively or how they were exerting their power without no, them knowing who they were talking about. Right. So without you all knowing that I was talking about you, I'll be like, I would say to one of my other black friends, like, oh my God, look at Miss Ann over here doing whatever. Right. And you, and you, because your name is not Miss Ann, you don't know who I'm talking about, right? So that was kind of the, that's the precipice of that, that term. And now, and it changes throughout time. So there've probably been some other names that I can't think of right now, but 90s was Becky and now we have the Karen. And I think generally we, most of us know what Karen, who Karens are. You can point to people like the Victoria's Secret lady and we give them, because we love alliteration, we give we give them names. So there's like Central Park Karen, or we name them by where they were at or what they were doing. The Victoria's Secret Karen or Barbecue Becky, Becky that yeah. kind of thing. You're right. So we name them by what they were doing because now we can all point them out. And that was a way, honestly, before it became widely known, even by white people on any social media platform, black people were still doing it. So we were like, oh, she's such a Karen. And you didn't know I was talking about you because your name is not Karen, but, and, and it just goes to show, it's like a, a, a generic name, which white people branch out on your names. Y'all talk about us and my name being LaQuasia or whatever, branch out on your names. Cause so many of y'all have the same name. So I can say Karen and everybody knows somebody named Karen um, or everybody knows somebody, somebody named Rebecca um, and how that looks. So there's like a lot of Liz's and we could, I could use, I could use so many, I could be like, oh my gosh, she's being such a Meredith. Well, I oh was talking about like, we could all just use our own names, ladies, because we're all Karen sometimes, you know, exactly. like we're all, we're, you know, whiteness is just kind of perpetual state of being a little bit of an asshole. I, I, right? would, I wouldn't say no you to said it. it. But like the <laughs> of whiteness, and if you right. don't buy into that, then you don't play into it and you act accordingly. You, If you go out into the world and act as if you know that white supremacy is a lie, I just don't see you getting any, I just don't see you getting uh, accused of being a Karen. I just don't. So, and I, I think about where the Karens are and what they're often doing is that like you could, most of the Karens, if they just minded their own business, like then then we wouldn't be in many of the situations. Like to, to have a woman calling um, the cops on a person barbecuing with the wrong grill, because this is the thing, you think that the space all belongs to you and then you can do whatever you want. Calling, there was a woman who called the police on a on a little black girl who was selling water. Well, Although lemonade is like something that happens all the time. Like in the summer, there's a lemonade stand, but if this black yeah, child yeah. is selling water, then it's a problem in your neighborhood. 
there was like a concert and there was, she was just selling bottles of water out of a cooler at the door. And she's like, do you have a, but, but doesn't that rhyme with historically rhyme with women in the South murdering children because you know, like their frustration couldn't go to where it really belonged. Or, or because they looked at you wrong or because it is it's so funny because we talk about that and it's like, it's still this exerting of the only bit of power that you have. That's exactly over it. someone else. So like, and then the reaction becomes white women's tears. We think about, we think the, the, the video of the woman in Victoria's Secret is the, and maybe she did also have other issues going on, but the meltdown that she had where she literally shook until she fell to the floor. And I say that, and I say that because I don't, I'm not at all discounting anyone's mental health. She no. fell to the floor into a place where she made sure her, her bag was under her head. That was a plan, but she did not fall to the floor. She fell like to the floor a, and was like, ah. Like a two year old having a temper tantrum, it, but she like was. worse. Yeah. So well, I think, brought up that video. Oh, well, sorry. No, 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 you're good. I, th I think what you said earlier is important, um, Rebecca too, about like, if you're not challenging whiteness actively, I think all white women have the possible the potential to be a Karen, right? And, and to be dangerous to people of color, unless you're like actively challenging those implicit beliefs. Because if you watch those videos of these women melting down, like Central Park lady, like a lot of times, and I'm not giving them a pass, but they're acting out of this instinctual fear that they have deeply embedded of of people of color, right? And they're having like a like essentially like a panic attack. And again, it's not justified because of ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous situations. But but if you don't challenge that fear that you've been taught, then you're going to carry that belief around with you and have the potential to go off like a powder See, and, keg. And I, I think it's both and. I think also sometimes they're just lording their power and that I know if I call the cops, they're never going to find me as a problem. Mm. If I if I cry, I know someone is going to... Like the woman, if we're speaking specifically about um, the woman in Central Park, which I know her name, but I don't want to say it, um, is she called the, the police on someone knowing like you cannot hide from the fact that people have been murdered right did the calculus and said i'm gonna call the cops on you because i can like that was a very like i don't know who this woman is like i don't know if she on a regular day would be that person but on that day she was you know what i mean yeah. like and we, it's the thing it's so insidious that it could be her you. at the worst but still she looked at that man and said, I have a power over you that I can use and I'm going, you saw it in her face. And it, part of it was because she was being told to, right. to back up and put a mask on and that this is at the height of porn. Leash her, she didn't like that he was telling her what yeah, to leash do. Her, leash her dog, right? So she yeah, was like, wait a minute, that's what it was. you think you have power, but I actually have the power, the power yeah. in this situation. I, I think so much of white supremacy, so much of the white, the white American identity psyche is predicated on shame. Because you know, every time you trip a white person's shame is when they have those like incredible spin outs. Mm -hmm. right, right. He's out, she's doing something she knows she's not supposed to be doing. Some guy calls her on it and she goes, not today. You know, nobody gets to tell me what to do. So like, she's already feeling a little shame and then just bam, because, because racism loves shame. It's like, a, it's like, it's, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a quintessential part 
of being a white person is running from the shame of being. But then also to what you talked about, it's also embedded in religion that you have this shame Uh model and shame becomes so internal that it's something you can't move from. Like you're like, I feel so ashamed. And it's this, it's this opposite of what white people feel when they say I'm a good person, right? Like I only, I I hear that primarily from white people. He's a good guy. He's a good person. person. They are shame spiraling in that moment. If they're trying to prove to you that they're good, it's because they're feeling ashamed. There's a huge disconnect there. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect there. Like as someone tr- like who said theology for a long time, for for Christians in particular. Uh, so, so I recently heard a wonderful definition of shame versus guilt. Guilt is there's something wrong you're doing. Shame is there's something wrong with who you are, right? And I think that's why so many pe- white people do not want to talk about racism because their brain goes straight to shame instead of looking at their actions and behaviors and foundational beliefs. And it's shame because whiteness is shameful. Our history is shameful. And we never learned how to do shame. Yeah. We never learned how to process it, how to take part, how to own it, how to take ownership of our history. Yeah. So much of whiteness is running away from the history of whiteness. Absolutely. We work so hard to conflate the 1619 project with critical race theory because we knew we could bad mouth critical race theory with a little bit better accuracy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So much of it is trying to avoid the shame of whiteness. And isn't it interesting that when you see the spin outs, women shame in a very Karen way, we cry and men shame via anger. Yeah. So honestly, here's here. Sorry. Here's the disconnect that I wanted to mention too. Uh, So, in Christian theology, especially conservative Christian theology, you are a sinner. You you can't do nothing wrong. You are inherently bad. Like you have internal, like from birth. So why is it so hard for Christians to understand? Oh, like I I don't get it, and I need to get it right. Why is it Listen, so I, hard? I work. You know, I work in DI, and I've done consulting, and I've had people say, "Well, I don't need you to shame me," and I'm like. Well, I'm not shaming you. I'm just telling you the truth and I'm not putting it all on you. And, you know, I use that theology that you taught. Exactly. I use that theology that you talked about, Mel. You inherited a house with termites and you just need to fix your foundation. Like this is what we're doing. And and because most, and this is why, and this is also, and maybe we can have an entire episode about Christianity as well, is that people put it back then on the, on the oppressed group of people and that, and that we are supposed to love you out of your racism. I can't tell you about your racism. I just have to hold you tight and go, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) And I'm just like, do you know how much work that is? Like oh, I had yeah. somebody say, when you say it that way, it makes me feel. And I'm like, we are not in a therapy session. I need you to do therapy before we come have a conversation together. Right. But one of the things I wanted to talk about too, is now there's, you have you heard that they're in the California, um, there's a Karen Act. And it, it, they they had to spell it with a C because they can't write a K, but it, it's uh, the Caution Against Racial Exploitative Non-Emergencies or the Karen Act. And that came partially from Amy Cooper and other some other people being called, calling the cops on people, where if you call the cops, you could be, um, uh, you could be prosecuted, arrested right? for filing, a, yeah, prosecuted and arrested for filing a false report or um, calling in a racial non-emergency, but that's I, it, how many that's people good. are, yeah, I think it's good, but then also yeah. how many people are going to, how many states are going to have a Karen Act, right? And, and can we get to, are we, are we just going to penalize people or can we have a conversation about 
not doing it. One of the other things I think is really, really interesting that I wanted to talk about is this now cultural appropriation of Karen, right? Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So can white people use the term Karen? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, here's the thing. I, once we put it on social media, it, it, it it's so hard because so many black trends and conversations weren't happening as fast and being taken as fast because we didn't have high speed internet, social media, TikTok, Instagram, you know, Facebook, all of these things where you would have to be in be in community with black people to know these um, these terms, right? And mm -hmm. I always I always point people to one of the first ones I ever noticed was like um, the, in the two thousands, Lil Wayne had a song called uh, with the with. God, I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, had a song and it with a group, um, and it was every time I come around your city, bling bling, and it was the time I saw bling bling on like a Zales diamond commercial, and I was like, oh, it's dead, oh, it's <laughs> it's gone. We had a funeral for it, we had to bury it, and I think what happens is now that white people are called, it can't. It's kind of like I heard, I've also heard Beyonce say once she puts out her music, it no longer be belongs to her. And I think that's true to some extent because now it's out there. But I also think that we have to be careful because if you are, it's kind of, you ever see that um, there's a meme of like all the Spider-Mans pointing to each other? Like white women are calling each other Karens in the midst of acting like Karens. And I'm just, we over here like, oh, y'all are Karens. Like, well, white, white folks, I, I see a lot of people uh, do like erase the, the racism background of it and just like mm -hmm. any woman any white woman who's being like quote unquote labeled as shrill becomes a karen and like that is a cultural appropriation right because you're erasing it from its context and now you're using it as a tool of misogyny so awesome right and i think about that because it and and there are but they're also we have to be careful about that too because they're also white women who say it's misogynistic to call somebody a karen it was not misogynistic when we were doing it we were doing it for a very specific reason but now mm -hmm. that you've culturally appropriated you got to take everything that comes with it so we can we can keep but we we do it with men too it's just not as popular because that we're on social media having these conversations and then white women are acting out in a way but there's there are names for for, for white men doing like oh he's being such a brad so we could we could do that too but it, it i think about it in this way that that white women have like everything we do you it has to be taken and commodified where now there's a movie called karen and i'm like I did, I'm not gonna go see it because I already know what she's gonna do. It's not like, it's not Get Out, right? Like it's not that movie, right? So I, I think about what that looks like for people, but maybe people should go see the movie, I don't know. Um, and what it looks like for people, it's like y'all can have, can, I can't take it back now, the bull's out of the gate, like I can't say don't call people, but I really caution people to think about what it means to actually be a Karen and not water down the terminology of what a Karen is because you all can have it because we'll come up with a different name. We like, you see that Becky being a Karen? Like whatever, I don't know. Like if we start doing <laughs> doing that, I won't use your name, sorry. But um, all of those different ones. I use my whole name. We see that <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> but I also think it's funny because we, we can do this whole, we can have a conversation about names specifically. Generally one of the, and we there's a, a study called um, our, I forget, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna butcher the names. Like it's about it's about resume callbacks. So it talks about the whitest names and the blackest names are are uh, Emily and Brad as employable as Lakeisha and Jamal, something like that, something like that. And year over year, Emily and Meredith are the two names that are the whitest names. So we'll start calling them Meredith because I don't I don't know a black Meredith, although I know somebody's out there. 
I, I think I know Black Emily's now, but which is a whole right. different conversation about naming your children something white so they can get a job that we could have a different right, name. right. And people do talk about that; they share their experience about that. I, you know, I wouldn't have so much. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take such pause to use the term Karen if if we didn't have such a long and enduring history of taking a tool to describe a pattern and then just totally rendering it meaningless. Like, because for me, the Karen, well, taking the Victoria's Secret video, the woman having the active meltdown, she, for me, she's a werewolf. Like, I think all white people, even the best of us, have our moments where we're, you know, like, ah, I don't mean to say that. I, I don't think the best of us have meltdowns like that. No, she was having a very serious meltdown. She was poorly behaved and I, and I was embarrassed for her. But you know who I really thought were the Karens were the women in that Victoria's Secret who did and said nothing helpful. Mm. And the woman who came up to the woman who was taking that, oh, I learned her name, but then I forgot it. Um, who said like, maybe you should just go. That's a Karen. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a Karen. Nobody came up to her and said like, hey, are you okay? Do you need, can, can I just yeah. like, I just stand by you and like make sure that she doesn't because this woman was charging yeah her and no and nobody had the wherewithal to just be like hey like like stand me maybe stand over the woman having the you know event right you know because maybe it was a real event maybe we can take her seriously but like who was caretaking the actual victim in that scenario the people yes. the, who was being actively attacked nobody so the woman having the meltdown, she was having the day she was having. I really honestly don't have much to say about her. But the rest of that store drove me crazy. Right. Not a single person could be like, hey, we'll so you're, I'm going to wait with you while security comes. So here's the question. Can Karens stop being Karens? Like, how do, we, think, how do we make our way out of Karen land? So I think two, one, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let you all go in because I'll, I'll let the two white women decide what, <laughs> what you all need to do. Two things I think, though. We'll take can advice. We, um, can we um, leave Karen as Karen and make a make a different thing? The person who would go stand with her is now a different name. She's a an Alice or so. I don't know. I don't, just oh, right. random, random white names. Be, be don't be a Karen. Be an Alice or something like that. So thinking about that. What'd you say? They were calling them Janes. Oh yeah, be, be a Jane or an Ashley. I think it was. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I want to know from you all. I like Jane Elliott. Yeah. yeah. Be, be a Jane. Yes. Yeah. So I think um, what would what what would you all say that what can you do to not be a Karen? Like, how could you, you know, shift, swing that pendulum all the way back in and have a different conversation? Well, I guess it depends on what you're present for. Right. Because these outbursts, these public outbursts, you kind of are either in the room or you're not. Right. 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 So if you're in the room, I think I, I think the the behavior that i wish i would exhibit you know if i was in that victoria's secret i would want to go stand by her and just be like checking in like hi i'm rebecca are you okay can i is it can i be here with you like do you need backup like what do you need in an authentic way and i think i think sometimes i feel like the best we can do is just be the most emotionally mature version of ourselves and go out into the world and radiate just being a safe person in that room and like, you don't need to tell everybody that you're safe. Like if you have to tell people like, hey, by the way, I'm a safe person. You're not, <laughs> you just be safe. Just be somebody somebody mm -hmm. can trust. Like offer help when necessary, be neighborly. 
that's that's the word I would love for for white women to embody neighborliness because you don't have to be everybody's friend you don't you know like you don't have to go out and give hugs to strangers you know what I mean like I think especially new coming white people to social justice spaces they really just want to give the best of ourselves and we want to be there and supportive but we don't really know how to do it it's kind of like underfoot a little bit but just go and be sane in a room full of crazy. And then of course there's like the stuff we can we can do, you know, in rooms full of only white people. There is so much work to do in rooms full of only white people. Because mm-hmm. you know, Teshel, people probably, and actually, you know, I'm not gonna assume I know about the white people in the rooms that you're in, but if oh, they're I- there. They're, 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 just assume. <laughs> That in my entire life, when I'm in rooms full of white people, which God, it happens all the time because of work, because of college, because of graduate school. So go ahead. Yeah. The rooms of white people. Assume the quality of person in that room. But I will tell you, when I have conversations with my white family members, when with my white company members, with my white friends, you know, people get really honest with me because... I, I make it a safe place to be honest, but people, it's always like the same six, people always need to have the same six questions if they feel safe enough to ask them at first. And people are always running into the same emotions. Like I talked to a very conservative, like a bit, like my brother, my closest sibling in age is a Ben Shapiro Republican. <laughs> but when I'm being honest with him about like my dismay at our history, my dismay at some of the systems that are in place. Like, I'm a sister, he'll listen to me. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna listen to a public service announcement with a list of you know popular actors and actresses talking about it's time to get right with racial politics. Like, no, like there are some conversations that can only happen that are lengthy conversations where we have to go collect our people. So what I do in the Victoria's Secret with a stranger, I'm probably gonna ignore the woman on the floor. I don't care about her. I'm gonna check in with the real victim of the situation. And then I'm gonna be like the same, just try to be sane in that insane place. But the real work for me, I feel like is around the Thanksgiving table. It's being sane in that room. Cause my, bro- my Ben Shapiro brother, God bless him. He's probably never gonna listen to me, but his daughter, might see the difference between our perspectives and go, oh, maybe he's, maybe there's a rift, maybe there's a crack. Well, yeah, his daughter, she may be uh, Gen Z or even Gen Alpha. Right. (laughs) And they're a different, they're a different breed of children altogether. So they're looking at things differently. But I also, that made me think, and and, and Mel, I want to hear your perspective too, but one of the things that made me think is, I think about the Karen and then the white women's tears, and it made me go back, as you were talking about the Victoria's Secret, the black woman in that situation couldn't cry. And if she did, what would have happened? We don't even have the uh, capacity to cry in those situations because nobody's paying attention. So we build up that firewall to not even do it, to just not do it. Wow. And it's so it's so interesting to me because I thinking about racism and how often it affects me, I've had to be more poised than I have ever cried even if I was hurt, poised. I've had to do that. I haven't had the luxury of tears. So when I say that would be my advice to white women is understand that your tears, although sometimes warranted in the story that I told about my friend um, talking about her experience, it may be sad for you, but think about how 
when you cry how people treat you and that um not everybody has the luxury of crying like you do like everybody Mm -hmm. says go to therapy but like not everybody can afford it not everybody can find a therapist who they don't have to explain racism to that kind of thing so i'm not saying that people shouldn't do it you should cry but you need to be in the circles of people who maybe reflect and i think one of the things that you said rebecca rings true for me because i don't have the emotional capacity to talk to your brother or other women like you all of the time and Mm -hmm. and then i should be able to be like talk to rebecca not (laughs) me and I think that that's important because yes, you love them. And yes, it, they are, they are, please don't also stop telling us that you're a good person and other people, you know, are good people. All of you all, it's fine. Yeah. I'm not, I'm calling you are only as good as the, in the moment that you're in and really thinking about the breadth of who you are, because sometimes you don't get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression. And the, in the first impression that you give is lasting unless you try to build community and build bridges. So really think about how that's impactful. And if somebody's coming to tell you something you did was wrong, they are trying to build a bridge. Like I could just tell you about yourself or I could save myself that emotional conversation where you might cry and I could just walk away and never talk to you again or be like, "Mm -hmm, email me and don't talk to me, right? Like that. So I I think Mm -hmm. about that in that ways. I I want white people to be having conversations in rooms with white people so I don't have to. And that's why I even, some, some of the work I do is so that Although I open myself up to have these conversations for people to learn from me, I know that it's lessening the burden of my black friends and colleagues around me and people that I know because now I'm letting you ask me a question and I'm also holding you accountable in that space. So I ask the same thing of white women in general. So Mel, I love Thank to- you. Thank you for doing that work. That is amazing that you that you do that. I'm serious. Like you put yourself in the way of those conversations because and, and I, I know I that's not like easy to- for you. They're not, but I also, in the mode, when I'm in the teaching mode of having these conversations and consulting, um, I'm also making sure I hold, I, I hold people accountable to what they, to, to things they're saying or doing, because often they'll be like, oh, well, I just want to have a conversation, but then they don't want to have that conversation. I'm like, no, 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 let's have that conversation. So I'm not opening myself up. Like I heard a woman say one day, um, I'm, I'm the open book black friend. So if somebody says, hey, hey. Tyshell, can I touch your hair? I'd say yes. And I'd be like, okay, well you tell them they can touch your hair, not mine. And tell them that you're okay with your, t- with, like be, be, be salient in how you're saying it. Hey, you can touch my hair, but not every black person's gonna have that same experience. You can do that, that's fine. Cause not, I'm not, if she come to me and touch my hair, we're gonna have a problem. And I'm gonna have to tell her about herself and then she's inevitably gonna cry. Mel, I'd love to hear your perspective on um, what you think Karen, women can do to not be Karens. White women can do to not be Karens. I was, and, and I've I been thinking about my response this whole time. What do I, how do I say this? Um, I would say the best way I can say this is to resist magical thinking. Resist the magical thinking that you are a storybook damsel in distress, child-like character who needs to be protected. Uh, you know, re- resist the magical thinking that that you that you don't have power that you can't be an adult, that you need to be rescued, and resist the magical thinking that that your intention, that your motivation matters a lot. Like, mm-hmm. oh, but I didn't mean to get you in trouble when I called the police, but you did, and your mm-hmm. motivation doesn't matter, and you can cry about that, or you can take responsibility for the fact that your actions negatively impacted somebody else. So it's, it really is magical thinking, to, in my opinion, to say, 
you know, well, I, I just, I didn't mean it. Oh, I didn't like, like, and ask people to coddle you like a, like a child. Um, and, and if I can add on that, it, yeah, I, avoid the magical thinking of assuming that I'm the exception. Yes, that I'm one of the good ones. People do that. Worry about it. Do that. I'm I, the exception. Yeah, it makes I do. Me think about um, Disney princesses. Yeah. Stop getting that out of your head because what she didn't tell you that she after she lived happily ever after was that she still had to pick up Prince Eric's fucking socks off the floor <laughs> and that he's an asshole and no matter how big the mansion is he expects her to fold the laundry it's like right. and that's the thing you you are not to be you don't need to be rescued I heard a little girl on that I follow on Instagram uh, Madison say she went to go watch um, I think the Little Little Mermaid. And she was like, no, she was, it was Aladdin. And she was like, well, she doesn't need to wait for the prince to go on, to go see the world. She can go by herself and like really lean into the power. And she, yeah. she, she I, I'll send you all the video if you find it. Um, Madison Jade, I believe her name That's is. Lovely. Like, wait, like, hold on. The Little Mermaid never saw the world because she just met the prince. And not not just, the Little Mermaid, uh, Jasmine. Oh, oh yeah. Jasmine, but she the didn't. Magic, the she, like, she only flew around that one city. She right. could have seen anything. She and wanted. she did. She said, cause, but he was like, I can show you the world shining, shimmering, splendid. And she was like, she doesn't need to wait for him. She can live her own life. And I was like, yes, yes. Madison, I'm gonna live my own life. Yes, Madison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final, final thought on this. I think out of everything we've talked about, and I think this was stated before, but I think it, it, it needs restating. I honestly think the only way out of being a Karen is to become an active anti-racist, to do this work actively in the world. You can't just accidentally, again, magically fall out of being a threatening Karen figure. You're not, it's not just gonna happen. You have to take responsibility for the work that, that we're doing, that we're all trying to do. We don't do it perfectly, but we do our best, right? And that's all we can do. I'm gonna, yeah. say, I'm gonna say this, I'll say, be anti-racist and also mind your business. It doesn't matter if that person's in the wrong parking spot. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I picked up two for one and that's not it. I'm saying right. it doesn't matter if I'm barbecuing. If I am not in your house barbecuing on in your kitchen, <laughs> mind your business. Mind your like, business. I just, just, 14 items in the 12 item lane. <laughs> you know what I mean? I worked, I worked at a Whole Foods and people used to tell all the time. Oh gosh. Like there's a there's a meme on oh on on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all that and it says how how you going to be racist and have acne? Worry about your own skin. Like worry about your own skin. And and that mind you, but just mind your own business, but also be anti-racist. Like be anti-racist, learn from the people who are willing to teach you or the books that are already there. Yeah. But also don't you don't have to go up to people and and mind their business because Often it it doesn't end well for you, even if they were doing the wrong thing. But because also you don't own what is right. White people don't own the 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 right to the the right to whiteness, the white to right, whatever. You don't own it, so you yeah. you can't have every space. So um, we I had a question, but we'll have to push that to next week because we had such a great conversation with you. Um, final thoughts, Rebecca. Yeah, fi yeah any final you thoughts. Wrap us, you wrap us up as the guest. Please wrap us up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. What an honor. Um, I think that in order to avoid being a Karen, I think a really good practical but totally outrageous thing to do is to work through my shame around my white legacy. 
Mm. Because I really believe that these Karen spinouts and these Brad, Kenny, <laughs> Kyle, Keith spinouts are just shame escaping us in just and in um destructive ways like the smoke mm-hmm. coming off a pan like yeah look yeah at, wow. look at the wow, shame wow. it's gonna start a fire a really wacky way that uh are uh, you know and i think that if you if you as a grown white woman really take anti-racist education seriously I think you are going to come to a point. I don't know if anybody remembers the Fifth Element movie. It's it's like a twenty year old movie, but there's this. You're point. dating yourself, Rebecca. Well, I'm forty, and I love it. By the way, yes, awesome. Double talk, oh, yes. everyone. Um, but there's this moment where she, where this actress Mila Jovich discovers, you know, like the file on war, and she sees all the images of war, and there's this like very like schmaltzy '90s movie, you know, scene where she sees what has happened. And she has this like emotional like reaction of like overwhelming shame and empathy. Well, not shame for her because you know she's an alien, but like empathy and like the trauma of seeing the reality of the situation. And I think that white women, if you really are serious about getting an anti-racism education, there are going to be things that you will learn that will make you cry. There are gonna be things that you learn that are traumatic and shameful and terrible and terrifying. And I think you should, if, you, if if I were talking to me from a year ago or from, you know, however long ago, find a safe place to process that that isn't making it the, the job of an already oppressed person to like help you manage seeing oppression with clear eyes for maybe the first time in your life. Yes. That's have for white people have a process partner have somebody help you through and take some time it takes like a year you yeah. gotta find the people who are doing the work so they can hold space for you and hold you accountable at the same yeah. time because it is such deep work to do and you are gonna have feelings about it we're not telling anyone not to have feelings about it and we're saying do. don't <laughs> weaponize your feelings right because people go i'm not allowed to cry and like that's just not what this is not like, what we're saying that's not the pattern we're pointing out when it's we like say learning that. that your tears have an impact and what impact yes. they may have in that space so it is yeah we could just be talking about this forever because it is so much learning to do but we want to thank you for coming and having a conversation with us uh we're so so grateful thank you so much have you back to have another conversation now it'll have to be the the deconstructing religion because uh that might be something near and dear but i'm I'm so happy to engage with both of you um and your large tiktok followings (laughs) i i listen if it takes me more than 30 seconds to make a video you're not gonna get a video from me but so i (laughs) i so i i love being able to engage with you and i cannot wait to see what the next color of your wall will be (laughs) watching now so uh, thank you for being here with us. And uh, Mel, you can roll that mm-hmm. outro. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon, everybody. Bye.